Welcome back to the Everything That Came Before Grace podcast. I'm Bill C. Alright, it's February 5th, 2015. It's Anna's birthday, and exactly a year with them carrying on by email. They meet up at Le Pan Cotidian on Larchmont, and it's the first time they've been face-to-face since the Christmas party over two years ago. And what I'm trying to do here is peel away the protective barrier these two have operated behind and see what happens. Benjamin is guarded, nervous, trying to guard that line he's assigned himself to, and Anna knows this and keeps walking them dangerously close to it. And the chapter ends with them both in Anna's car and getting pulled closer and closer to crossing that line. So let's hear it. It's chapter 33, The Meetup. Chapter 33, The Meetup, February 2nd, 2015. I'm early as usual and take a seat by a window overlooking Larchmont. I'm watching the rain come down as people without umbrellas pull their jackets over their heads and try to keep their balance as they scurry along the wet sidewalk. I order a coffee and nervously add too much sugar. Anna's late. Maybe she's wised up. It's not too late to leave, I think, but of course I don't. We've been emailing each other over the past year and sharing our most intimate feelings, but we haven't had to see each other since the party over two years ago. A lot's been said since then, but I haven't had to look into her truth serum eyes for any of it. Until today. I spot Anna walking up in an old peacoat and fedora under a big white umbrella. She squeezes her slight frame through the heavy doors, and her big brown eyes dart around the room until they meet mine. I feel it hit me, and inside I go, "Uh uh-oh. I stand up and kiss her on the cheek. Happy birthday, eh? You look amazing. You look good, too. Sorry I'm late. Did you order? Just coffee, I say. Coffee's good, she says, taking off her coat and hanging it on her chair. I need one of those. I like your hat. It looks familiar, I say. It should. You gave it to me, she says, placing it on the table. You kept it, I say. I told you, I have everything you gave me. I'm flattered, but I don't say it. I'm trying to settle myself down. The caffeine and sugar are making me jumpy. So how's Keith, I blurt out. That's weird, she says, looking surprised. We haven't seen each other in two years, and that's what you want to know? Just stupid nervous chatter, I say. Give me a break. She softens. Sorry, I get it, she says. Hey, I say, looking down at her hand. That's not the clotted ring I gave you a hundred years ago, is it? Yeah, I just found it the other day. I forgot how cool it looked, she says. Remember when I gave you that, I ask? She squints, trying to remember. In Joshua Tree over Thanksgiving, I say. Remember? It was our might-be engagement ring. Oh my God, that's right, she says, reaching over to put her hand on mine, which makes me uncomfortable, so I move it away. So 
I made you a birthday present, I say, handing her a little package, wrapped with a lot of quotations, taped to the sides. Dr. Seuss, Einstein, Emerson, and Kerouac. She opens it and breaks into a huge grin. Ah, one of your mixtapes. I love it. Just some stuff I've been listening to, I say, neglecting to mention. I've been obsessing over it for months. What's the title mean, she asks, scanning the names of the songs. It's a line from the Pete Townsend song, I say. She starts to read the titles. The little I see looks like heaven to me. One, Sweet Feeling, Candy Stanton. Two, Long Monday, John Prine. Three, Are You the One I'm Waiting For, Nick Cave. Four, Hold On, Alabama Shakes. Five, Romeo and Juliet, Dire Straits. Six, Maps, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Seven, Hello Sunshine, Aretha Franklin. Eight, We Float, P.J. Harvey. Nine, I Only Have Eyes for You, The Flamingos. Ten, When I Stop Dreaming, Leuven Brothers. Eleven, The Beautiful Ones, Prince. And twelve, A Little Is Enough, Pete Townsend. I can't wait to listen, she says, pausing. So, that poem you wrote me, it was really beautiful, but... Too much, I ask. No, it's just, well, yeah. I pour some more coffee from the carafe and watch her empty a sugar packet. It's silent except for a spoon clanging against the sides of her cup. So is Keith still hounding you about, you know? I start to ask, then trail off. Yeah, she says, taking a sip. I just don't know if I want to have a kid with him. I raise my eyebrows. What, she asks. Have you said that to him? Just like that, I ask. She starts to backpedal. I didn't mean for it to come out like that. I just, I don't like ultimatums. He gave you an ultimatum, I ask. He said time is running out because of my age, and if I won't budge, it's a deal breaker. And when was this, I ask. Last week, she says. You didn't tell me that, I say. So what if he says he's leaving? He won't, she says. I think he knows that. So what about starting your own business, I ask, changing the subject. Where's that at? She takes a sip, then stares at me. What? Don't ask, I say. No, it's just... She pauses. I've stayed at my job because I told Keith it's too crazy a time to quit, so that's bought me some time. But the thing is, he can accept that. But if I quit to start my own business, he's just going to rag me forever about choosing that over having a baby. But hey, how long can you tell him that? She turns to gaze out the window. I look that way, noticing the rain has stopped. So, do you want to meet my new dog, Bella? She asks, changing the subject again. My place is close by if you have the time. I don't know, I say. Is that a good idea? It's no big deal, she says. I think about it for a minute. What, are you afraid I'm going to pull a Mrs. Robinson on you, she says? No, I say, even though I'm thinking it, half wishing it, half dreading having to stop her. Fine, forget it, she says, tossing her napkin down. All right, all right, let's do it, I say. We walk out and stop in front of the restaurant. The sun is breaking through. Where are you parked, I ask. 
I'm right here, she says, pointing at a big black brand new SUV parked diagonally in front of us. Wow, do you and Keith get new cars every month? Stop, she says, nudging me. So I'm parked up the street, I say. Wait for me. I'll follow you. Why don't you just hop into my car? We can listen to your mixtape. I'll drive you back. I shrug and start to climb into her car. You should have a stepladder handy to get into this thing, I crack. She rolls her eyes and pops in the mixtape and backs out of the space. She beams, hearing Candy Stanton's sweet feeling lead it off. You know, she says, speeding up Larchmont, if it wasn't for you, I'd probably still be listening to Spin Doctors in the Dave Matthews Band. You're indebted to me for life on that alone, I say, rolling down the window. You know, Keith still listens to that stuff. Jesus, I say, shaking my head. I did all I could. She turns on to Beverly as John Prine's long Monday begins. I saw Boyhood last night, she says. It made me think of you. I can lend you the screener's disc. Oh, I'm so far behind, I say, as we stop to make a left onto Rossmore. I've got this long list of movies I missed starting in 1998 when, uh, you know, when Sophia was born. She turns and we pass big house after big house. Oh, shit, she cries out. What's wrong, I ask? Fucking Keith's home, she says, speeding up past her house. She slows down as she reaches the end of the block, makes a right on Muirfield, and pulls over. She shuts off the engine and rests her head against the steering wheel for a moment, then leans back into her headrest. Hey, you okay, I ask? Why does it have to be like this, she asks. Maybe it just wasn't meant to be today, I say. We're quiet as we drive back to Nick Cave's Are You the One I'm Waiting For. She pulls into a space behind my car and shuts off her engine. Then she turns towards me and says, Is it just me? Are you as closed off with me as you seem? Uh, sorry, I say. I just didn't know what the right play was today. It's probably an acknowledgement of the power of, you know, of us. Maybe the email-only thing's been a blessing. I suppose, she says. I watch her recline into the cradle of her seat. I scan the length of her body. She looks so utterly conquerable right now. Becoming three-dimensional again has definitely been a lot, she says, letting out a sigh. Well, when he walked in the restaurant today, I was like, uh-oh, nothing's changed. It's that forest fire potential we've always had. Do you want to kiss me, Benjamin? <laughs> What's that, a trick question, I say? She chuckles. That's what you said the first time I asked you that. <laughs> I did? Well, do you, she asks. Of course, but I'm not going to, I say. Don't you still find me attractive, Benjamin? Hey, please. She turns towards me and her eyes go half-lidded. Put your arms around me, Benjamin, she coos. Please, I just want to feel you hold me. She doesn't wait for me to answer and moves in. Jesus, I whisper in her ear. You feel so good. Kiss me, Benjamin, she says, moving her lips towards me. Come on, I remember everything you like. Our lips just barely touch and I can feel myself start to melt into her before I snap out of it. I really gotta go, I blurt out and pull away. Benjamin, don't, she says, trying to stop me. I tumble out of her passenger seat and 
hurry over to my car before I can change my mind. I punch the accelerator and roar off like I just robbed a convenience store. Fuck! I scream as Little Richard's keep-a-knockin' rattles the insides of my car. <laughs>